Keeping up with the research and then applying it to your clinical practice is hard. That's where we come in. I'm Sarah Cavallaro. And I'm Mim Rodder. And we are pediatric OTs who, through this research and reality podcast, aim to help you better examine the research and then interpret that into the practicalities of reality for the families you work with. Well, hi, Sarah. Even though we've been a little bit behind in our recordings, we have done all our handwriting We're ones. We're smashing them out. Yes, yes, we just haven't done our, for now, something completely different one. No, so as we talked we'll about in the last one. We'll get to that in the one, holidays. We will get to that. Yep. But the exciting thing is because we have done the handwriting topic, we have Melissa here. So welcome, welcome Melissa. Melissa. Thank you, ladies. <laughs> And we decided this time not to do it as a webinar just for our listeners because we found that people were asking questions but people had to drop in and out. So we're just doing it as a recording and we'll do that with all our guest speakers from now on. But as we've said before, you can always send your questions but we've always got plenty of questions for our guest speakers. That's why we've chosen them. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Melissa, we might get you to introduce yourself just because I'm sure you'll do a much better job than us. So please tell our listeners who you are and how did you get your love of handwriting? Well, hi, everyone. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I'm Melissa Savonoff and I'm a paediatric occupational therapist and I've been in my own part-time private practice on the south side of Brisbane in Underwood uh, for, well, since 2005. <laughs> long, long time. Yeah, yeah, long, long time. time. Yeah. yeah, and I've done that around having my own children and I can't even tell you where my interest in handwriting started, but way back then, actually it was 2004, and in 2005 I was thinking, oh, I'd love to know a bit more about handwriting and possibly I'll ask a few people, we'll have a two-hour maybe workshop everyone I asked to present said yes and so I along the way went through OT Queensland at the time and ended up being a two-day handwriting conference at Indrapilly yes (laughs) and it was it was excellent it was about 80 therapists some speeches a teacher and I'd been at UQ at uni so and I'd worked previously in mental health quite brain injury etc so I had an interest in how the brain works and how that obviously works mm-hmm. with child development and yep. so Jenny Ziviani had been one of my lecturers so she said yes and I teed up with Felicia Ward and yep. she helped and we co-convened it and it was Beautiful. fantastic and I asked Elspeth who is now Dr Elspeth Freud and she mm-hmm. spoke back then and then fast forward to 2020 and 2021 some of you may have attended the handwriting and co-op webinars that I arranged with Elspeth and then Dr. Diane Jones was a speaker at back then. And I've pretty much used her research that she did at UQ. She was a teacher, a guidance counsellor and a special ed teacher in the Maribara area, area yep. but she's now retired. But she so graciously answers my emails um, <laughs> as um, necessary. And, yeah, she did a beautiful body of research at UQ and implemented in her school district on the power of automaticity mm. and the transcription process and its importance for learning. Yep. So I've pretty much used that in my clinical practice ever since. That's amazing. It's amazing yeah. how your contacts can really shape your clinical yes. interest area, isn't yes. it, Melissa? Yeah, yeah it's so fascinating. It is. It really is because I was expecting a little two-hour workshop, tick the box and... <laughs> 
move on, but I yes. just learned so much. Yes. And it's so invaluable and I can see it's a large majority of our caseload for peds in my private work has been handwriting referrals. So yeah. And overlaid with sensory aspects and yeah, so yeah. it seems to be what I do. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Now, Melissa, you chose um, an article for us to review, which we did. Can you tell us a bit about why you chose that particular article for us to review? I can. It was actually um, an article that Elspeth or Dr. Elspeth Freud uh, recommended and I learned of through her. And it really married, I guess, very well with what I've been practicing all these years on the power of automaticity really with letter formation and all the aspects obviously of improving accuracy and then speed, legibility, spacing, all of those things as more important than pencil grasp, which mm. we'd been ingrained at uni. Mm. And I know it's very controversial. It's like, ah, that we'd look at pencil grasp to try and modify it to be the dynamic tripod. That that was the ultimate goal. If, you know, if we can get close to that, we're, we're nailing it. And how much angst that caused to teachers, students, parents, OTs, for all the alternate grips where children were still wanting to um, hold the pencil and it wasn't causing pain and it wasn't causing discomfort. It was still functional. They were still participating, still engaging. And so I just love this body of research because when I've shared it with uh, teachers, they back in January, I was sharing it with um, a couple of teachers and they were thrilled. They're like, oh, oh I'm not guilty now that I've let yes. one slide. Yes, it's so, a relief, isn't it, for it some is. people? Yes. Yeah. There are evidence-supported alternate grips to the dynamic tripod where, where a child can still function and produce functional writing. And so that's why I love it because it saves a lot of anxiousness and stress. We've got the reluctant and the avoidant handwriters that if we can correct where the breakdown is, um, as those who would have been in Elspeth's webinar, the breakdown, what is it that we look at? And often... Uh, it, Pencil grasp mm. is something that children are so reluctant to change and we really need to get back to are their letters formed correctly, mm. how's their accuracy, because if that's corrected through proper instruction and practice, then their spacing will improve. Their They'll notice punctuation. Oh, well, I should be putting a full stop. Yeah. They'll <laughs> notice their grammar and they'll notice their spelling. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it just all rolls together. So it takes the weight off us also uh, of feeling like you have to force something that's not natural for a child if they've developed a habit. We all know developing a habit to un, undo well, a motor yeah, learning undo, pattern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, undo a motor pattern yeah. or reverse it takes a lot more work mm, yeah. than once something's developed and it's become an automatic skill, which yeah. is what you want to develop. And so they're holding the pencils automatic for them. They just mm. hold it that way. And, of course, it's our professional um, responsibility. We are the professionals and the experts in this area that we look at is it is it causing pain is it causing discomfort well then obviously we need to modify adapt yes. and work with that and obviously have the child on board yeah. and their mm -hmm. intrinsic motivation is invaluable obviously otherwise they're going to hate the whole process and not do it and why bother <laughs> yeah that's right so yeah that's why I I mentioned it because a lot of people are unaware and are still doing the conventional let's try and change the grip and if it's not going to cause complications or contraindications for joint mobility and range of motion, et cetera, down the track, then let's um, encourage them to hold the pencil as they are finding comfortable. And I was saying in the episode, saying that in my clinical experience, I only ever have luck 
changing the four-year-olds, you know, the yes. kids who are still They're developing their yes. pencil grasp. I find yeah. once kids go to prep, then pretty much that motor pattern is fairly ingrained yes. and they're very, very reluctant to change. And or it's very tricky because every time they pick up a pencil, they need somebody to remind them. And yeah, that's, that's just right. so manpower intensive, yes. isn't it? Yeah. And it and can be embarrassing right. for the child as well just to say, yes. crack your grip, crack your grip. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah, right. like you know the little vis- visual cue cards we used to have on the desk. Yes. Tap, tap position, Sit up paper, straight. Posture, yes, pep, yes. Up, yes. You know, it's like oh, the child's got so much to remember, and the yeah. teacher's giving instructions, especially for children. You know that it's just another layer mm. of information or something that they need to be prompted to remember. So if it's taken out of the equation, then they're actually focusing on forming yes. the letter, which evidence supports is the important aspect obviously of writing you have to know how to write the letter yes but the um that that was part of diane's work back 2005 was that power of automaticity and that's where i've after all these years put together a handwriting course that i just released in december and it's called handwriting automaticity matters so it's a short online course for busy educators that actually only takes about 90 minutes and it's on my website under courses and i'm opening the enrolments again in June. What's your website? www.ricardoreadingmouse.com.au and you can just go to the courses tab and join my wait list for handwriting automaticity matters. Automaticity and the power of handwriting acts as that glue to improve reading fluency and spelling. So Mm -hmm. there's the reading, writing, spelling. So I've done a lot of work in understanding and research more the power of how handwriting supports reading and spelling which is not traditionally an ot area but the the handwriting is and Mm. if you take it's kind of is it causal or causation or correlation that since Mm. handwriting hasn't been as high on the agenda of the curriculum literacy and numeracy rates have decreased like you think of how much manipulation mentally happens when you're writing and producing a letter by hand for maths and english that now research supports the brain doesn't fire up the same when you keyboard so in those mm. essential years, handwriting can't be removed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and um, would you think that course is useful for simple six um, lessons that basically teach about the benefits of handwriting automaticity and based on the motor learning theory of how we develop skills and as the skill becomes automatic, there's less cognitive load, so you have more attention to devote to grammar and punctuation, spelling, yeah. and how it can be integrated, which is evidence supported that handwriting instruction in with an overall literacy program. So you're writing when you're reading Mm. and you're writing when you're spelling Mm. and which, Mm. believe it or not, as we know, a lot of schools are not always um, enforcing as much as what we would love. We might link your website in the Facebook group and um, in the show notes as well. Mm, Definitely. I just wanted to expand a little bit like a funny tangent and then some actual more practical questions about that grasp. So what grasp do you have? We ask that question to each other. Yeah, I do actually have the dynamic tripod and I'm a left-hander. Oh, wow. I know. (laughs) I I don't fit the box. (laughs) Are any of your kids lefties, Melissa? Yes, I've got... um, Five children, but only one of them is a lefty, and he's mm. starting to be a teacher. Yeah, right. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah, I've so, got a lefty as well. Um, so. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm a, um, I'm a and then what's the strangest 
well, you can say the strangest that still functional, but also yeah. maybe the strangest that you may have had to change. I know we're talking about. Yeah, not- that's a good question. I, I don't know. I couldn't. I'm just thinking what little ones have I seen that have had a strange grip? I can't think of one that's that's oddly beyond anything that most mm. of us would have seen. Because mm. <laughs> I've seen one where the index finger was at the top of the pencil. Oh, and then right. all the other fingers were controlling it yeah, underneath. Right. So they were still getting fine finger movements, but the teachers were like, you've got to change their pencil grip. You've got to change their pencil grip. And they, she was older and I said, there's no point. No. Like, I think a common one I see is the thumb wrap. I mean, it's mm. not uncommon, but yeah. if thinking of unusual, I was just thinking, well, what's one of the most common ones that I would have once felt inclined to change? Yes. I would have felt inclined and I have tried is the mm, thumb wrap mm, thinking mm. well that doesn't look good my 10 and, year old's got a yeah. pretty strong thumb wrap yeah. yeah 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 and I did try and I did try and change it during COVID actually <laughs> Alyssa, because I, when I was homeschooling her I you couldn't bear to look at it all the time <laughs> but of course she was completely resistant yeah, and right. because I was her mum she was like not a chance more resistant <laughs> yes right. exactly yeah well I've still yeah. got those grips in my stash you know the thumb wrap ones where you yes. put the fingers under yes yes, yes. the ones well, that and that the was going to be the next like the next little and again sorry these are questions that yeah, are just coming to my head your hardest, but Mim. pencil grips so when um one of my children went through school they actually as part of their actual list of like book list they yes. had to have pencil grips yes so just the triangular ones to put over a regular pencil yeah like is like have you found good yeah. bad doesn't matter I've got them in my stash and mostly I've found personally in the children I see they don't really like that one but I I had a little boy last two weeks ago I think I saw him before Christmas didn't want a bar of any pencil grip um, which was fine and um, he he wasn't getting too much pain he just was reluctant to write and so I'm like oh maybe these will engage him they're colorful and and um, no 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 and then two weeks ago he saw them there and said oh I might I might try those <laughs> and so he he um, his mum ended up buying a couple he loved them and um, they were just your um, your bigger wider pencil yep. grip you know that you can put for left yeah. and right hands and yep. just opens up the web space a bit but that was yep. very funny um yeah it just so help. again I think what we learned from that article is exactly as you said that it's not we don't have to concentrate so much on pencil grass but that doesn't mean we throw it completely I know no, you're not saying this no. it's completely out the window we look at fatigue we look at pain and you can still introduce give them let them trial especially at that younger age Mm, pencil grasps Mm, to see whether um or different types of pencils Mm. to see whether that does actually help um, get that and so and you're looking for the functional thing you're looking for in a pencil grasp is like are you looking for that finger movement yeah looking that the child is still willing to write um, without tiring too soon yep. and what's too soon in their handwriting speed because they're not doing the the handwriting at the speed at which you would expect for their year level they rush and mm. so it becomes illegible mm. and so but that's a really good through? point because again like I know we all whether we're parents or whether we're therapists I'm not saying we have to always hang our hat on something but that is actually quite a good aim and a little bit of a like again I know yes. Yeah, saying, okay, this is something they have to regularly do. Let's see if we can get 
their spelling so, list yes. automatic and in a timely way and legible. Um, yes. And that's a really practical goal. Actually, yeah, I really yeah, like it. It is. Actually. And it's a lot of schools are still doing it. I saw a young boy last year or the year before, time goes, and he came from a school um, in one of the nearby suburbs to me. He was year three going into year four and he was changing schools and his school wasn't focusing on handwriting so they weren't doing spelling bees written and he transitioned to another school and was doing terribly because he couldn't handwrite mm-hmm. he hadn't been um kept up to the speed he needed to in for the year level so according to the work that i've been doing well, all these years um the letters per minute when you do your alphabet per minute for year four is 50 letters a minute so he was doing way below that mm. and so that's part of what I do in the handwriting automaticity courses sharing with teachers that so important to develop that letter formation and accuracy before speed at a young age so that they develop that and then it becomes automatic and it is quicker obviously because they don't have to think how do I write the letter b they can write it and then they they, they think about their spelling mm. so I did a, went into the school for a young boy another young boy who was in year four writing at about 24 25 letters a minute the spelling test year average was 50 the school let me go in sure enough I sat um very unobtrusively at the back and quietly timed the spelling test and the teacher did it exactly it was about 50 letters a minute by the time I timed every word and you know, letter and broke it all yeah. down. Mm, yeah. And then he had low muscle tone. So the teacher then was willing to be more accommodating to, I said, look, if you can just slow the spelling test down a bit, it'll yeah. probably help more than just this one child. And then he'll work on improving his handwriting and then we'll kind of meet in the middle. Mm. And I only saw him a couple of times. I put the mum in a home program and away he went and yeah. loved his spelling bee and loved mm. going to school on a Friday. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, that's excellent. Makes such that's a difference for him, to really, engagement, it? doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, life changing. I mean, yeah, so that's why yeah. I love it. Melissa, if you think back to maybe before two thousand and five or two thousand and four, when you held that first handwriting conference, yes, what do you wish you knew back then that you know now? Um, I would love to have learnt not to focus pencil, pencil grip, yep. but handwriting automaticity, the power of that, and that's mm-hmm. what I learnt in that. Uh, handwriting conference that if children are not don't develop automatic letter formation knowledge and they can't automatically form all their letters without visual prompts or needing to hesitate then they will get behind and they won't keep up with their Mm. schoolwork and they won't Mm. focus on grammar or punctuation or spelling because it'll be the cat sat on the mat well how do I write the letter t yes and I was very inspired because Diane had all the speeches all the ot's all the teachers and the parents in her school district uh, educated that when you're teaching your little preppies to, you know, write the letters of the alphabet, that you nip in the bud any incorrect letter formation. Mm. So, and yep. she actually didn't put the letters on the lines either until mm. the children were automatic. Mm. So well, it's that's interesting. Like, yeah, yeah, another layer of, yeah. you know. Yeah processing as we would understand and so I've always done that when I do the alphabet in a minute with every child ever since then I always do it on blank paper because she did all her research on blank paper until they were at the age appropriate level of letters per minute in writing the alphabet yeah so I've always done that and it it, then it naturally flows that spacing it makes sense from a cognitive processing point of view and a cognitive motor developmental 
you know, motor learning theory, it's less cognitive load because mm -hmm. it's an automatic movement yeah. and they're, the motor pattern's automatic and they've got the cognition then to go, oh, okay, I can pay attention to my spacing, my sizing, legibility, yeah. which are all the, yep. you know, and so yep. it's in answer to your question, it's that top-down approach, yes. which took a while for me to, because you're so ingrained in the multi-sensory approach mm. bottom-up, which is obviously still good for your little ones. They love yep. the multi-sensory awareness of print and yes. engagement and interest in print and in writing. But as we've learned through the research that you practice handwriting to improve handwriting. Yeah. And Dr. Elspeth Freud really, you know, drove that home in those two um, webinars, which is mm. really great. I have a relationship, Melissa, with a local kindy and they send me a lot of kids for a short block kind yes. of school readiness sessions um, while they're in kindy. And a lot of them are presenting with, you know, kind of motor planning, visual motor integration yes. delays. And one of the things I say to them, at the end of kind of our block when they're going off to prep is that the risk for kids with motor planning difficulties or any sort of praxis difficulties and visual motor integration yes. difficulties is the delay in handwriting automaticity. Yes. So I always say to parents, what I want you to do is focus on starting at the top yes. and doing anti-clockwise letters, you know, your A, your D, your G, everything's, your O, everything yes. anti-clockwise. I want you to nip those patterns in the bud yes. and also that's a red flag for a re-referral to OT later on if yes. you you know if you're getting halfway through prep towards the end of prep and you're noticing that you know they still don't have that handwriting automaticity yes you know that's a red flag for re-referral would yeah. you agree with those two things yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah definitely and which way do you teach the letters and I've always done it in the, like you said, with my own children too, because I homeschooled them, all in the order, like you're saying, like the anti-clockwise. And Printing Like a Pro is a free program that was developed evidence-based, task-specific on the motor learning theory by two OTs in Canada, and it's available freely to download, and it does the directional uh, teachers by the direction of the letters. <laughs> it's but it's not Queensland beginner font. So, uh, mm. but I know I've been in touch with um, Yvonne Montgomery, who's one of the, the authors of the Printing Like a Pro and one of the OTs. And, and yeah, she has offered for me to convert it or translate it to oh, Queensland Beginner Font and teach me. Amazing. So I'm like, well, that's a huge yep. undertaking. And that was, that was um, probably at the end of last year. And I'm like, Thank you, Yvonne. That would be wonderful, but that's a big undertaking. She's like, oh, I can teach you how to do it. Yeah. If we do that, then that will be somewhere. I don't know where or how, but it will incorporate the Queensland beginner font. The print, print like a pro obviously is evidence informed and excellent as a guide for teachers and for therapists wanting to go, well, how do we teach handwriting that's explicit and yeah. with a program yeah. uh, that's freely available, but it's obviously not Queensland beginner font. But Diane's research that I've worked from since 2005 is not putting letters on the lines till like about the end of year two mm. till they're automated. So I don't fully use printing like a pro in the same way because I've seen such benefits of no lines. Yeah. And they're both evidence supported. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Because yes, so sometimes the, the lines can help thing, guide kids visually yes. Yes. to know where to start and things. But yes. as you say, yeah, then if they don't have the actual automatic handwriting, then. Yes. 
it adds it complexity. It does. Yeah. And it can be controversial because obviously schools are full of lines everywhere. But the graduated introduction of the lines can be something that I do with children too, like just giving them the paper that's a ruler width apart. That's two bodies of research and you can integrate and you can see how both work. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. And guess... as curiosity with the automatic letter formation, have you guys found that kids, the letters in their names are sometimes the last to be formed correctly? Because like yes. I found that a lot, that often it's when you look at the letters that they're forming incorrectly and then you look at not all the letters in their name, but often the letters in their name because they're the ones that they've just been, oh, yeah, write your name, write your name, but not taught yes. how to write their name. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. that was a, a pure anecdotal observation. I don't know if you guys found yeah. that, have found that as well. I would agree because that's actually when I did a, when I do my free webinars about what's all the fuss about handwriting, one of the mistakes I put in there is that children are allowed to write their name because it's their first name and they their first word that they love and they're allowed to write but they mixed they mixed case so people don't correct whether there's uppercase or lowercase in their name so I find it often if you don't correct it when they're young mm -hmm. they'll have up, uppercase and lowercase in their name mm -hmm. and people mm -hmm. go oh that's all right but then down the track it's actually not because it takes more work to correct they've formed a oh, habit yeah. by then haven't they yeah and yeah. I always say to kindy teachers as well I would rather you give a visual prompt with a green dot where to start yes. for longer than yes. expect them to be writing their names you know by the second term of kindy yes. for instance yeah. yeah yeah and having that visual prompt and then that verbal prompt is also good isn't yeah. it and then yeah. that's Combine all the, the external two. prompts and then it becomes yes. intrinsic at some point exactly. automated and intrinsic <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah. yeah it kind of brings us really nicely to our next question Melissa which is you know whether or not you use a structured handwriting intervention or a program per se and I know you've just talked to us a little bit about printing like a pro yes is there anything you use or like a lot of us wonderful OTs is it a bit of a mishmash of bits and pieces that you love and your own fabulous ideas? That's a good question. I do not use a commercially available one yep. that you pay for, really. Yep. I, yes. I haven't found one that's been in the Queensland beginner font, yep. uh, A, mm. and, yeah, I haven't found one that fits in with Diane's research without the lines and her sizing of your like using mm. size if they if they're writing big and it's developing the automaticity then let them go for it and so grading it down so no I don't I don't use and printing like a pro as I said is a good guide and I just structure my intervention based on my clinical observations like all of us OTs do yep. reports from children I mean from the students the parents the teachers and the assessment findings so I think for me as well, you know, so much of it, Melissa, we know that intrinsic motivation and regulation are the building blocks for therapy success. Yes. And so for me, so much of it is about sometimes you have to do handwriting activities based all around cars and sometimes yes. it has to be dinosaurs and sometimes it has <laughs> to be superheroes. And that's what OTs are so great at is incorporating yes. a child's interests to increase intrinsic motivation. And so that's another part of the reason why, you know, I personally don't use one because, you you know, you, you just have to be creative and look at each little person individually, don't you? Yeah, you do, you do. And um, it just reminded me that 
for Queensland Beginner Fund, I work in a demographic where a lot of the parents are immigrants or English as a second language or older parents who didn't learn the Queensland Beginner Font yes. as a script. Yep. So I've actually developed um, Little Ricardo Reading Mouse Flies a Plane and I have a free three-part handwriting tutorial series on my Learning with Ricardo Reading Mouse YouTube channel so children can learn and parents the Queensland Beginner Font formed correctly as they watch Ricardo fly his little jet stream. Amazing. Yeah, yes. so good. That's, That's what great. I was going to ask you about. I was like, I'm sure you did a little. <laughs> yeah, a little about somewhere. Ricardo. And it's never been, Queen, I've never actually Queen got Queen. anything to print as in a workbook or anything like mm. that. I mean, there's all of your, perfect, you know, available ones that do Queensland beginner font. And yes, you can get them at office targeting. works or whatever. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. So it's more yep. the intervention that we specialise in specifically mm. and that is something that's free and children and parents can use and just guide them in the correct letter formation. And another thing I also adapt to when we're talking about reluctant and avoidant handwriters is the medium that I use. So if they're mm. um, ingrained and they're maybe year two or three and they hate writing already, which is quite sad, isn't it? I will gradually introduce them so they're not scared of me and use a mega sketch yeah. and a whiteboard you know as we yeah. do wipe on, and wipe I off. find um, gradually move to pencil and paper if necessary yes I find the paint like things like paint sticks are really great too Melissa yes. which are like the pastels you know because they yes. slide and they have beautiful yeah. colors and you know yeah. things like that are really motivating aren't they yeah they are and they're still holding the pencil or the writing exactly implement, implement. yeah yeah and because in the paper that um, you sent us yes. they did use because the they stylus. said that they use this the stylus on mm, that's a right. tablet yeah. and it was to do with further research that they were doing it wasn't particularly to do yes. with they that. were looking at grip force as well yeah and writing mm. surface pressure mm. yeah Which... and so do you use any technology no, or I you feel yeah no I don't use any tablets or stylus or anything like that just your good old fashion pencil paper <laughs> yeah. but it's interesting because in that research I thought I know they gave the children a brief trial beforehand mm. but you, you you know you have to look at well how new was it for some of them and it's mm. a new skill and the slide and the pressure I know they said that they tried to make it as much like the writing surface as possible yeah. so yeah, that's just a little And particularly, I think, you know, the article was, it was 2012. So yes. I imagine, you know, like you say, Melissa, a lot of those kids may not have experienced technology right. like that. Our next question is about assessments. And I guess, obviously, Melissa, I'd love to know what you use. Um, I guess, firstly, do you use anything to mm -hmm. formally assess handwriting? And then do you use that again to measure outcomes? Or how do you measure the outcomes of your therapy? A comprehensive evaluation of handwriting, as we know, looks at the child, the task and the environment and the whole aspect of where they're putting pen to paper. Where are they? <laughs> you know, what at looking at all the holistic approach and traditionally also what, what we were sharing about before. How is their posture? Um, is it sloppy? Have they got low muscle tone? Are they needing to support their hand, the head, position of the paper? checking all of those things and we've already talked about pencil grasp and that research and then how they're writing what what are they doing and looking at the letter formation so I do uh the dash which those who don't know is the detailed um, assessment of speed of handwriting and it's quick and it provides obviously only 
um, outcomes or evidence on speed difficulties for children that are nine years up to 16, 11 months. But I like it because it only takes about 30 minutes and it's got all the different subtests. So you're looking at writing best, writing fast, you do your alphabet in a minute, and then you've got your, your longer 10 minute free writing when you you do that really, aren't you? Because you're looking at um, their spacing and their letter formation and their legibility, which all comes back to, as we shared before, the accuracy of their letter formations, because if that's accurate and automatic, then they'll be noticing more spacing legibility. So I have a look at that. And then the evidence supports working on accuracy before speed. So that is important in what we look at with the speed scores. It's like, well, why are they slow? And where is it breaking down? And also this self-evaluation, which is part of the um, cognitive motor process having involving the children in having a look at their writing. And I always do the alphabet in a minute, obviously as part of the dash, but I also do um, score that based on the year levels that Diane has from way back when, um, on what if they're year two, they should be doing 30 letters a minute. And a lot of children I see are under that. So I use that as an outcome measure once they put their handwriting program into practice. And then I have also used uh, the handwriting speed test by Margaret Wallen. You should still be able to get it for those people that may not have it. And it's for grade three to grade 12. And it's only about 10 minutes and it's a quick three minute writing task. And it was developed on the New South Wales Foundation styles. Use caution, I guess, when you're applying that to other fonts, but it is, uh, there's actually a research paper that you can find on Pearson Assessments Clinical when you buy the DASH. That does a comparative study of the handwriting speed test and the DASH and they were mm. found to be comparative. Yeah, great. And yeah, yep. so yeah, that looks, that's what I do. And do and you then, do any of those as a retest, Melissa, or do you tend to look at functional outcomes more? Like you said before, you know, this little guy was happy to go to school and he could do his yes. spelling test and, you know, are those the sorts of things that yeah. you look at? I think it depends individually on what I'm being asked for. Like if you need to do a, a reassessment and the scoring is part of a, a report process that needs to go somewhere, then I, I will. But other times... Uh, I always actually reassess the um, handwriting in a minute. Yep. And then the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog aspects of the, the mm. best and fast. Mm. I actually mm -hmm. sometimes use that as part of my therapy in sessions and I, I get them to redo that. And then also uh, as part of um, some of the work too, I do dictation and copying because mm. you've got your free writing, copying and dictation so that, they're your three forms of writing that are different, aren't they? Yeah. So yep. copying speed's different from composing and mm. different from dictating because mm. you've got the, all the different aspects of, well, when I'm copying, I don't have to remember what they look like and I don't have to exactly. spell them. Yeah, exactly. So I That's have right. actually have a look at that too, which uh, is important, I find. Mm. And then That's I excellent. Should, so just name those again. So they were um, copying. Com composing. Composing. Copying. Copying, and dictating, dictating and I yeah. share more in detail in one of the lessons for teachers and I found that teachers find that really helpful to understand the, the, the memories that are yeah. formed in the brain through um, our letter knowledge when you're writing you've got your motor pattern you've got your visual memory and you've got your auditory memory how the letter sounds how it looks and how it feels obviously when you write and then you've got the sound when you read when you read cat it's cat and when you spell it it's c-a-t 
Mm. And then when you're being asked to dictate, the cat sat on the mat, you have to remember everything. Mm, that's <laughs> you right. You have to remember what it sounds like, how it looks. And so yep. I go into that in detail in, in a lesson and um, I find a lot of people aren't necessarily always aware of all of those aspects that take up the attention and the cognitive processing of such a complex skill of hand Because the dash obviously would assess that um, creative or free writing and it would assess the copying, yes. but they do they have a dictation? They no, don't have a dictation. So no, you would just I do that. Do, I just make it up. Yeah, I just yeah do. you just do a dictation component yeah. yourself. That's yeah. excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. Interesting. Yeah. And, yeah, I learned that somewhere along the track through something. <laughs> I'll tell you where or when, but yes, yeah. Mm. I use there's a dictation component in the etch which I don't oh, use yes. in my current yes. job but I did use at a previous job um, yes. they've got yes. a quite a nice little dictation component in there yeah that's right yeah 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 mm -hmm. Melissa I'm looking through and I think you've answered most of our other questions but before we finish up I would love to just ask you about keyboarding as an alternative oh, yeah. to yes. handwriting and I know that you have already shared with us tonight that you know handwriting is in the evidence linked to both spelling and reading yes. so I would love to know at what point do you really look at keyboarding as an alternative yes. for kids in the classroom and how does that fit with the one-to-one -one devices that schools yes. are often doing kind of from grade three or four up yeah that's a very good question uh with keyboarding Obviously, it's necessary for data entry. <laughs> These days, you need to um, be able to process information, um, get it into the computer by typing. Yeah. But obviously, some people just think, oh, they can't handwrite, send them to an OT, the OT will write a report and they'll keyboard. Mm. But it's like, well, what age are they? And I often look at, it's very individual. When is the child ready to keyboard? And if they're physically capable, so if we take out physical disabilities and intellectual disabilities, so they've got the physical capability, they've got the cognitive capability, they may have some kind of like, uh, by physical disability, I mean, you know, obviously they can't even access the keyboard. Mm. But if they've got low muscle tone and it's a fatigue issue and they've got, you know, on the autism spectrum, ADHD, any other kind all the range of learning difficulties or disabilities and they're somehow delayed with their handwriting dcd or whatever you've still got the aspect of the knowing where the keys are and actually mm. teaching them to type so that it is actually faster than handwriting yeah and i kind of go from the guide like they introduce well in queensland they introduce cursive in about I think by the end of year three, if you look at the curriculum, they're expecting mm -hmm. them to be proficient mm -hmm. uh, and then introducing keyboarding. So if you have a look in the Australian English curriculum, they've got year by year, the handwriting and keyboarding, what they expect and typing mm -hmm. is introduced. I think it's they even have typing. I'd have to have a look. Is it year, year two? That would be my guess because they have to do NAPLAN on their iPads now yeah. from year three up. Yeah, I've got it here. Yes, it's... Um, yeah. Australian curriculum handwriting and keyboard and description writes and types some letters and words correctly. And that's the year two. Yeah. Yeah. And so writes and types a few words is year three Yeah. Um, on the keyboard. So yep. um, I kind of go from hoping that in those first say three years, your is when you're developing your reading fluency and your spelling. And according to the research, handwriting acts as the glue for those neural pathways for letter recognition memories to tie that together. If I can get a child, if they're early enough, to be automatic at speed with their handwriting, 
by the end, like end of year three, whether they're print or cursive. And Mim and I, I've already sent you the answers about that and the yes. research about print and cursive and um, either one to mm. pick depending on the child's motivation and the school and what they're teaching and some schools aren't doing cursive, et cetera. Uh, it's kind of seems a long-winded answer to the keyboarding, but that's what I kind of focus <laughs> on. And then if they're needing to keyboard, then you want to look at actually are they keyboarding at speed? Can they keyboard faster than they write? Yeah. And the yeah. keyboarding doesn't light up the brain the same as mm. um, producing a letter by hand for those earlier years. So if you're having difficulties with reading and spelling, then it's um, evidence supports that you encourage the child to handwrite to help develop that. So with keyboarding, I would um, see does what's aligning with the curriculum of the child, the school, and the child's motivation and their ability to touch type and develop that speed and accuracy. And there's an interesting couple of studies that I was looking at um, and I'll just read this out. Mm. Um, studies show words per minute for copying and composing during handwriting. Example, um, the copying speed, um, grade six ranging, depending on the study I've found, that they range from 12 to 17 words per minute for copying, which is obviously quicker than composing. And then the composing is about nine words per minute. And so this data on handwriting helps to establish what our functional keyboarding speeds would be. They need to be obviously better or commensurate or comparable mm -hmm. um, to improve a student's outcomes for classroom written work. And the studies that I've found indicate that grade six, the typing speed average is nine to 14 words a minute. Mm -hmm. Not much difference, is it? I was quite mm -hmm. surprised because I was like, well, for evidence-informed practice and best practice, people are paying me to what are, what is it saying can I get a child to be writing at the end of year three 40 letters a minute lowercase uppercase that will transition to being faster words per minute yes if they're willing obviously it's all if the child's willing and able yes um not what the teacher wants what the parent wants is it going to be a better outcome for them or if the child is totally avoidant to handwriting after trying to do the mega sketch, the whiteboard, yeah. pencil to paper, hates yeah. it and is willing to learn to touch type, we need to get them to speed. Mm. So that yeah. is going to take more than a, an OT session that's going to need the school and the parents to be on board to actually do a typing program that develops that automaticity of touch typing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So that's kind of what I come from in that. Yeah. Mm. Yes, so and some of those is, stats are excellent. Again, like looking at some of those. Yeah, yeah, I'll levels. send you. I'll send you the Thanks, um the, the articles. Yeah, yeah, that it's would be good great. Some of them, some of the research goes back to um, you know, Jenny Ziviani's research back in '96 um of words per minute, and there's a mm. comparisons for boys and girls too. And as we know, um, mostly on average, the girls are writing quicker, more legible, and typing faster yeah. by a couple mm. of words. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's interesting too, because we usually see more boys. Well, I do. Mm. Do you? What What would you say? More boys mm. than girls? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yep, for yeah. sure. Yeah, so. absolutely. Mm. Yep, yep. Melissa, I have just learnt so much tonight. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on. Oh. I think our listeners are Very absolutely kind. going to love this episode. 
thank you so much for giving up your time tonight. We absolutely want to promote your courses and your website. So like we said, we will post them on the Facebook page as well as in the show notes. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to have you on. And I think you've got so much to say that we might have to do you again next year oh, maybe yes, yes. There's, there's bits that we didn't we didn't have time to touch on I know we touched know. a little bit about the cursive but you and I have yeah, I had some back and forth about cursive and, and yes. that's fine that's what we have yeah. limited we could maybe do another print cursive one I mean there's so yes. much there's so that's much really practical there's so much and I'm really and I guess for me I'm really fascinated in that kind of preschool age yes. you know yes. what can we do to get kids yes set up for success in yes. the preschool age so potentially if we have a school readiness um yeah. topic then you know we might be able to have something on that as well from you which yeah. would be really fascinating yeah, yeah that would be great and yes. the other thing actually for people wanting to get more information melissa you have an handwriting ot facebook group oh yes i do um which beck spokes and i um started together but unfortunately she's been quite unwell so i do it now and it's called handwriting for ot's and so you can just find that. And there's right. handwriting tips for teachers as well. And I, I do have a little course, Let's Get School Ready, but I might change it that goes, it's for parents and it goes through the developmental milestones that oh, I picked about five mm. that children need to have to, to focus on um, transitioning into school to help with their gross motor and fine motor yeah. skills. Beautiful. Yeah, so that's that great. Really Jeez, you're a busy set. lady, Melissa. <laughs> you are a busy, amazing lady. <laughs> it's what I I enjoy doing and I really love um, seeing, you know, really it's not a cliche to see children blossom when you've got the skills to be able to help parents that, that there's so much information out there that can take them forever to Google. Yes. Um, if we know the answer, then I'm happy that's to right. share it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And you've been so generous with your time tonight. Thank yeah, you definitely. so much. For those who have been listening for a while, you'll know that we do a topic per term and then have one completely different article um, in case people are not so interested in the topic. And um, I have just started reviewing this one and I'm really fascinated. It is about participants' experiences of the NDIS. Um, mm -hmm. Eight mums of kids with cerebral palsy have been oh, wow. were interviewed at the end of the first year of their access to NDIS um, and they've got some really great feedback on um, you know the choice and control involved in the NDIS so I can't wait to get that one out to you um, but that will be probably be early term two by the time we get that re yes. reported and out <laughs> thank you for your patience everybody and we'll talk to you soon yes bye bye we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. We love providing this podcast to you free to enable you to put great research into reality for your families. We would love to engage with our listeners more and if possible, have you support our podcast. There's a number of ways you can do this. One, tell your friends and colleagues about us. We are aimed at occupational therapists, but some of our topics are certainly relevant for other professions as well. Two, rate and review us on your podcast app. This helps others find the podcast. Three, email us if you like at researchandreality, that's R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H-A-N-D-R-E-A-L-I-T-Y at exceptional-kids.net. Check out our Facebook page where you'll be kept up to date with all our news, 
www.facebook.com slash research and reality OT. That's research A-N-D reality OT. You can also become a Patreon supporter from as little as a dollar a month. This podcast takes time, so if you'd like to support us, you can. When you support us through Patreon, you get extra perks as well. For a dollar a month, you get to be a research rookie and get access to our closed Facebook group. It's different from the page as the group allows you to interact with ourselves and each other to share about articles that we review and much more. For $10 a month, you get to be a research roadie and you get access to the closed Facebook group, get a blank critique form and a copy of the article in advance, if copyright permits, and a transcript of our podcast so you don't have to frantically take notes while listening. You'll also get access to our bonus episode each term where we interview an expert in that term's topic who has picked one of the articles. And for $15 a month, you are a research rock star and you get the benefits of the research rookie and research roadie, but you don't just get a recording of the bonus episode. You get to be part of it live and post your questions to our expert in real time. You can sign up through Patreon by going to patreon.com slash researchandrealityot.com. That's researchandrealityot.com. So there's heaps of ways to get involved, support us, and engage with the Research and Reality podcast more.